everybody. Welcome in to another edition of Head Coach U. I am Brian Fisher. Thrilled to be joined, as always, by former BYU and Virginia head coach Bronco Mendenhall. And we're heading out to the Palouse today. Bronco, thrilled to welcome in Washington State head coach Jake Dickert. Jake, thank you so much for jumping on with us. No, oh, it's a real honor. You know how it goes when you get in the, the groove of the season, get a little bye week, a little, little downtime. <laughs> we're, we're preparing for a great UCLA team, but it's an honor to be out with you guys. Hey, you know, I, I, I'll start there with with the bye week. How have you kind of approached things a little bit differently compared, you know, kind of settling in there there at the Palouse and and with your team? How, how have you kind of changed that bye week structure, if if at all, kind of compared to when you first took over? Yeah, I think there's two different philosophies on it. You know, sometimes the last couple of years we've had it more week eight or nine. You know, so we do a lot of off time on the front end. You know, you just got to recover the body after eight straight games. And then we kind of started getting into game mode that, you know, kind of Thursday, a lot of recruiting Saturday and obviously game week. Uh, we kind of stayed on task a little bit more this year. You know, we went to our normal Monday walkthrough, Tuesday, Wednesday, walk through Thursday, gave them the weekend off, rejoined back together Monday afternoon. Uh, coaches were out on the road recruiting, but also, you know, gave them that weekend off when they got back with their families because mental recovery is real. You know, and that's that's for players. Let's get away from it. And it's for sure for coaches because peak performance demands a lot of yourself. It does as a player, as a coach, as a trainer, as an equipment guy. You know, when you're in that fight constantly, you need that mental recovery to get back. And I think our guys did a great job of answering the bell with a tough practice this morning and, and we'll be ready to go on Saturday. A, a couple of things uh, that I just heard that are, man, fascinating to me. You talked about peak performance and how demanding that is. And we know it is. And it's unrelenting and yeah. it, it, it never stops. One of the concepts I learned along the way um, is this concept of oscillation, meaning up and then down, up almost like intervals. And as you mentioned, you're an early morning practice team. Um, so ha have you found, I guess, maybe what effect have you seen that have maybe on yourself and on your staff? Do you find that that's been for the, for the time after practice, you're able to come down more. Um, what other benefits have you seen maybe from going in the morning? Well, a couple of things there, Bronco. I, I've done it both ways. You know, I've been a Sunday practice, Monday off. I've been a Sunday off, Monday practice. Uh, this was the first time being here because I'm a Craig Bull disciple and we were always afternoon practices. Uh, we actually get a chance here to split up the day and I love it, right? So we'll meet at, say, 640 this morning. We'll be on the field at 7.15. We'll put in our normal two hours, and then we're done, right? So then coaches watch the tape. You know, by noon, they got everything done. Then they're game planning the next situation. And what I love for the players is then we break it up and we bring them back later in the day at 4 o'clock, right? So we go special teams, we go offense, defense, and then it translates right into dinner, into their academic pieces in the evening. And some people really like that, hey, we're in the building for five hours straight, and this is football I love that we break it up, right? You, you're here and you're putting in the work. Uh, sometimes there's lifting on Monday, Wednesday after practice. Then you get that big break uh, to make sure, same thing, go do what you need to do academically, go with your study hours in, and come back, I think, a little bit refreshed and re-energized back in the building. And, you know, I think that's an approach that our guys take. And what I also love about it for coaches when we did it was, <laughs> you know how it is when you meet before practice? That's a hard out. You know, sometimes there's a little bit of that wiggle time that we are allowed to use. Um, Coach Bull would say pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered, right? So let's make sure we're being uh, articulate to that. Um, but one thing I've learned, guys, I think in the last couple of years is that adaptability is king. You know, and I really mean that. I think there's too many 
players and performers that really seek invincibility. That will never happen. That's a perfection illusion that I talk a lot for our team. Our standard is the best in everything we do on and off the field, period. Right? Our guys know that. But just to your point, uh, Coach, that best will look different each and every day. Peak performance isn't 100%, 100%, 100%, 100%. You're going to wear yourself out. Okay, But the key is if you're at 70% that day, you need to give 100% of that 70%. Too many humans will settle and they'll say, hey, I'm 70%. Now I'm going to give half of that. Now I'm operating at 35% capacity. Okay, so A, it's realizing that it's hard to really 100, 100, 100. Okay, and B, when I'm not feeling that way, it's adapting to that and make sure that I'm giving my best of what I have that day. And then as a coach, it's my job analytically and just feeling out the team to make sure we're peaking on game days. So everything we do is designed for that. Uh, the highs and lows you talked about is designed throughout our program. You know, we're a walkthrough Monday team, hard practices, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday uh, is, you know, and we call it mental Thursday. I don't like no sweat. There's a little bit of tempo, but we don't let anyone get above 60% of their max speed. And then we do about 10 periods of fast Friday where you must hit your 85% speed before you get off the field. So um, there's a lot that goes into that. You know that, Coach. And uh, that's just kind of our philosophy, a little bit on practice and, and thoughts of performance. I love it. It's really well researched as well. We know in deliberate practice, which is the, the best kind of practice, but also the most grueling it's not sustainable for very long and it has yeah. to be followed by periods of recovery before you do it again. And so this thought that the, the deliberate practice is only physical practice, it's mental as well. And so the meetings right. you're talking about, the chance to go from a deliberately practiced meeting to a deliberately practiced practice, and that's a four hour period is quite frankly, not realistic and not sustainable. Right. And there's a great, there's a great concept in the world of human performance called uh, SAID, Specific Adaptation to Impose Demand, which means the body and the mind will work to adapt to whatever is placed on it. However, um, without the right changes in duration, frequency, and load right. or intensity, you can't keep it up. And so I, I think it sounds really well designed and, and really well thought out. Tell me about um, the, the monitoring and, and for the folks listening, 85%, and I'm sure they might be familiar with catapult or others. Um, I'd love to hear how you're using that. Yeah. So the, the catapult, you know, we have, I think 65 of our guys are, are on the catapults and every day, you know, the main metrics that I look at, cause they give you a million metrics is total distance, uh, player load and max velocities, you know, and then we'll set with our strength coaches uh, thresholds, like on a typical Tuesday, you know, I don't want a receiver over 7,000 yards. You know, we have certain thresholds for their player load. I'd have to look at my numbers, but let's say it's 650. Uh, and then, you know, we know through training what their max velocity is without pads on. And then we want to make sure you never want to go without five days without hitting 85% of that in pads. And that's a fast, full tilted speed. Uh, so we track that. And let's say we walk off the field on a Tuesday and one of our starting receivers only got to 79 We'll send them straight to the strength coaches and we'll get his quick 85 in before we send them out the door. So uh, when I really use it, though, coach, is fall camp, because I think that's when you ultimately need, you know, those highs and lows. And I know there's a lot of coaches out there that go, you know, we used to do three a days. Right. Um, but there's so much more to performance than than the physical aspect of what you're talking about. So even in fall camp, I'm a big, you know, 24 full 21 shells. 18 helmets recycle. And, 
you know, there's certain days and times that you need to make sure that you're you're in there. But that's a typical Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Then we go Thursday, lower Friday, scrimmage Saturday, off Sunday. So we stay on those cycles, and I think we train them that way. So, you know, the walk through Monday to the hard Tuesday, Wednesday, walk through Thursday kind of trains their body and their mentality for that. You know, but just like what you talked about, when we go out on Thursday – we huddle in the locker room. I don't, I don't want unnecessarily what we call trash yardage, right? Yeah. So we stay in the oh, locker yeah. room, right? We throw the doors up and we go and all we talk about is the mental strain and focus to the discipline that we need. And that's in winning edge. Focus and discipline to us is what we call the winning edge, right? So those are the same things that you can accomplish even in a uh, no sweat or a mental Thursday. R- really like it. And, and clear expectations uh, that yeah. you're talking about are, give your players, but also your staff, um, but also the outcome, it's best chance to be fulfilled. And the listeners might have heard me say this before. Frustration occurs when expectations are implicit, not explicit, where you yeah. have them, but you don't say them and you don't say them well. And so you might be frustrated as the head coach because it doesn't look right. But then you trace it. Wait, did I design it or say it right? Yeah. And so it sounds like by the way you're designing it, um, man, it's giving everyone their, their best chance. Yeah, I got something for you, Coach. I, I think clarity is king. I think clarity is king. And I think when you put a mature group of people together, whether it is coaches, support staff, uh, equipment guys, uh, custodians, the great W, uh, our, our food people, obviously players, if you create a great plan and it's clear, it's amazing how well they'll go out and execute it. And, you know, in fall camp, we rep mental Thursday. So it's not game week and then all of a sudden coaches are frustrated, right? We we rep uh, what we call, you know, fast focus Friday, right? So they know what to expect. One thing we talk a lot about in our program is this word why, all right? And why can be a statement or it can be a question. And I challenge our coaches, what kind of coach are you, right? Do they leave your meetings knowing exactly why we're doing something, okay? This is the reason. This is how we need to go attack it. This is why I need to do it. Or do they leave, leave your meeting going, why are we doing that? Same word, two completely different meanings. And I take that on as the head coach. It starts with me. So when our staff knows clearly why we want to execute something, how we want to do it, we put that exclamation point behind it. But when there's questions leaving that room, you know the clarity isn't clear and we're not setting a vision. So I think that's an important topic we talk about and how we hammer clarity within our program, because I think it's really vital to your point, coach. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. I love, love, love the idea of why and just the tone or inflection of how you say it reflects intent. Because we've all been there, right? We've it, all been there. We know exactly. exactly what that means as a, could be an employee, could be whatever walk of life you're in. You know, we've all been there, I think, as human beings. And um, I think it, it, it gives you a, something to hold on to. There's a fascinating study, and you might have heard of this, but it goes directly to something you're applying already. And they looked in workplaces across the country as to what provided the most satisfaction. Number one was purpose, which mm. is the why. Number two was autonomy. That means once, you, once you've told me, right, once I understand that this is why, yeah. then give me some space and let me go for it. And then it's mastery where people love to see themselves getting better. Uh, and th- that little cycle of those three things all builds directly into the why you're talking about, which so you're already directly on to, man, maybe the, the most, uh, man, the most rocket fuel ish type of fueling that your guys or your organization can have. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And it's I think it's the ownership of knowing when you sit in this seat, that's one of our biggest jobs. And that took mm. me took me a while to understand that, you know, it, yeah. it really did. And, you know, I've always known being a head coach that I wanted to be a head coach. And, and I know I think that's how you did it, coach, is that I'm not the head coach of defense. Right. I know that's my background. That's my upbringing. I want to be a resource and an asset, never a liability. Uh, but I never want the offensive players to see me just as a one sided guy. And that was something that I fought really early. Uh, and I think the clarity that we're talking about, I think, helps that on both sides of the ball and holding everybody accountable to see you now truly as the head coach. Yeah, I, I love the number one, the introspection. And, and as you said, adaptability as a head coach or as anyone that's learning, I'm anxious to, to hear what other learning. So two and a half years and it might feel like 20 or it might just feel like one. I don't know. Based on the day, it used to feel different to me. And yeah. so I'm, I'm anxious just to hear maybe other reflections or introspections of of maybe going from a great defensive coordinator to a head coach and what that wrestle was like to maybe what it's been like for your family to maybe anything else scheduling or et cetera that you've just felt in two and a half years. It's like, man, I thought that was going to be what it was like or wow, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I think. You know, we know more than ever we're a byproduct of the people that we're around. You know, like I said, I was raised in the Coach Bowl tree, but also the biggest advantage I ever had, Coach, was that my first six years of coaching were under six different defensive coordinators, mm. right? So I got a chance that every spring, every winter, it was like a first-class education on seeing, you know, a million different ways of doing it. And while some people would look at that as a change and a challenge, I looked at it as a complete opportunity. And it was exciting for me and it really shaped me. And then I think when you know you're ready as a coach is when you see someone else's viewpoint and you go, okay, but I would do it this way. Mm -hmm. I think that's when you're really ready. That's when I knew I was ready to be a, a coordinator and I got that opportunity at 27. Uh, and then as I kind of went throughout my journey, I always knew I wanted to be a head coach and the barometer in the place always kept changing. And I think you have these fancy plans. This is exactly how it's going to be. I'm going to do it this way. Woo, great, right? Um, I think letting go of responsibility was probably the hardest thing I went through. Because I think at some point you identify yourself as that defensive coordinator, that X's and O's coach, that tactician, and that um, someone that just – I miss being in those rooms, coach. Like I do. I, I, I love that piece of it. Um, but – I've done a better job in year two, to your point, when you give responsibility, trust in that responsibility. And the best thing I do now, I believe, is give feedback, right? My, I learned this from John, John Stiglmeyer, amazing head coach, national champion at South Dakota State. My position group is our assistant coaches. And he looks at it that way. And I never understood fully what he meant until now. And I think it's really important on all of us, including me, now, this isn't an ego-driven profession in that room, right? How do you take that feedback as a coach? I know sometimes I used to take it very personally, you know, versus, hey, I want to help you. These are things that I see from a 360-degree view uh, that can help you learn, grow, and get better. So the more I've done that this year, the more I feel settled in my position that, hey, I've given our staff responsibility. I fully trust where and how they do it. And we have clear and clarified expectations about how to go do it. And if those aren't met, we're going to confront and demand it and get better. And my job is to constantly be growing and constantly be getting better. And if I show that to our team, that's going to trickle down to our assistant coaches, our support staff, and more importantly, our players. Because 
I think when you really study it, people are afraid of this word pressing, like pressing to get better. Some people think it's pressing in nerves. I think it's good to press. It's good to want to chase something and go out there and just be passionate about improvement. Right. So, um, you know, those are some things that mm-hmm. we've done. Obviously, coach, you know, the stress it is on a family. It's been very different. But that's also why I'm at a place that I really fit here. I can get to my house in six minutes from where I'm sitting <laughs> right now. You know, my daughter's got a volleyball game at 430 and I'm going to be there. It's two minutes away. Then I can come back and do my work. And I, I share that with the rest of our football staff. So I think, you know, while coaches, we know, you know, the pressures we're under sometimes. But I think when you're in a great situation and circumstance, it just eases the stress and the pressures of what we all have. Right. So. Uh, I've learned a lot of those things as we've gone throughout this first early journey. Man, re- really powerful. And I can tell you work really hard at uh, at learning and improving. One of the things that you just mentioned that I, I love uh, is the concept of the assistant coaches being your position group. And when you're communicating with people, providing feedback, some folks do it directly, some do it indirectly, some customize it for the individual in the situation. What, what's maybe your most authentic way or the way that you find and how much do you do you tailor it to the individual or how much is it coming just from you as you? Yeah, you've hit, you, you've hit the nail on the head. It is individual, just like it is with the player. But I think what I've realized going through this business is the power of group is real. All right. And we talk about a lot, not just with the assistant coaches, but with the team. Right. Trust needs to be built in that staff room. OK, trust needs to be built in that team room. And the one way to build trust that I know of is truth. The truth is not meant to make you feel good or bad. It's just the truth. Right. And I think that's a statement that we really need to understand uh, as individuals. But there'll be some times when I'll say, hey, I'll show it to the whole staff. Hey, are we meeting the standard? Okay. what one thing we love to do in our program too, coach, is what we call hunt the good. Mm. There's a lot of negative out there. Like Let's it. start yeah. with three really positive things. We got yep. a big coog. We got a big coog that's hunting. That's got a little blood on his jaw, right? But let's start with hunting the good. All right. So we'll show. Hey, look at this energy. Everyone think this is the standard. Yep. Look at this finish. Is that the standard? Yep. Uh, so we start with that before we get to corrections, and then we don't call them losses here. We call them learns. Yep. Right. So we take that failure and we got to turn it into a learn. And when you do it in front of the group. Same thing, right? There's power in that because I don't want to let my people down. When you got the right people in the room, they, there's such power in team and sport. You don't want to let each other down. And it's amazing how corrective the behavior can be. But there's also for sure times, like you mentioned, Coach, you pull a player, you call a, pull a coach in and, hey, privately, hey, what? Hey, is there something behind this behavior, right? What's going on? Is there a family situation, right? You haven't been yourself. Or, hey, we need to get this better. Or sometimes I want to make sure this is not the principal's office, right? So when you get a text to come see Coach Dickert, it isn't, oh, well, you know, what's happened? No, no, no. Hey, how you doing? Good job. I saw you do something really good, man. You really finished today. Or, hey, I love the way you taught this drill. Or I love the way you executed that meeting. Uh, so there's a lot of positives. And I want to make sure that we're reinforcing both sides of it because I think it's vitally important. Uh, so your staff is a peak performer as well really like it. And the idea of hunting the good is I like the mindset. I like the attitude. I like the optimism. But I also like that it's not pretend because you talked about truth and and trust. Uh, One of the things that I learned regarding trust is it's really established, as you talked about with truth, but also um, time. It takes time. It takes consistency, but it also takes results. 
And those three things, in addition to right uh, players looking looking to you for the truth, that's when it becomes fun as the head coaches when when they they believe uh, what you're saying. I loved also the again the idea of hunting truth. Uh, Dr. Craig Manning was on our program and and he he wrote a book called The Fearless Mind. But his exact ratio was that where you're starting with three positives. Um, yeah. And one negative and the best relationships, marital relationships, surprisingly, are at least six to one. Uh, but what you're saying to your spouse and man, have I fallen short with that one? Yeah, yeah, I'm um, going to note that one down. quick. <laughs> <laughs> you know. and, um, and it doesn't mean it doesn't mean they're pretend, um, right. but it, it's uh, I don't know. The culture around your program becomes, I think, more vibrant with the approach you're taking. But it's real, coach. And I, the term is right. Hunt the good. You got to mm-hmm. actively seek it. And we work with Steve Jones a little bit on the motivation side, and that's what he talks about a lot. Mm-hmm. So we break down trust this way. Truth, relationships, understanding, sharing, and time. You know, because mm-hmm. I think it's big. You can't trust uh, the man next to you and your teammate. You don't grow a relationship and you don't understand who he is. And yeah. I think you got an obligation as a person to share who you are and your experience. Because mm-hmm. that's what makes people really understand you. Trust is foundational yet fragile. Right. And, and we all know how important it is in our programs. Uh, so once again, I think it says coaches and coaches in general, you got every eye on you and how you respond, how you act. Everyone sees it. And that doesn't mean you got to be perfect. I tell our guys all the time, I won't demand that you ever be perfect. Right. And you got to constantly learn. That's also understanding that coach won't be perfect. Right. And sometimes there's need to be leeway given in that way, too. There'll always be less on our side. Uh, but I think it's very important when you when you build relationships and trust. And I think you see that those type of things on the field. And, and I think it's so important as we kind of move to the next topic, which I think is related to what you're talking about, is the exposure and the visibility and the incessant barrage of, quite frankly, a lot of negative things. Uh, yeah. And so you're hunting the good and you're working so hard within the culture to have this messaging and this approach. And at the same time, right, there's an op- oppositional component that sometimes isn't, it, it's it's hunting them, yeah. <laughs> meaning your players and your staff, with things that are negative or, or maybe other. And wondering how you go about, number one, personally as a coach, I've received emails, I've received texts before, um, and some aren't very nice, right? Yeah. And I'm wondering how that's been for you and your family, and then possibly what you do uh, for that with your team to help, I don't know, create a, to be the gatekeeper or shield or however you do it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to understand that, you know, ships will sink from within. And I think uh, we do a good job, A, with a leadership council. And I think feedback is vitally important. I think it is any great leader out there crave feedback. That doesn't mean you make all your decisions off of their feedback, but you have to see others' viewpoints. You know, so what we try to do is build a really strong, like, internal leadership group that doesn't just come from me. Right. So I can't just at the top always talk about staying together and those bonds and the connection that takes to stay tight together because there's adversities that are coming for us all. And the ones that are really easy to talk about are, you know, losses or social media or, you know, I think one thing we talk about a lot is environments around these kids. okay? because I think as adults, we failed these kids greatly. We promised them the prize without talking about the process. And as an 18 to 23 year old young man, you're not always aware enough to separate love from a bad environment, right? And someone that's squeezing and pressuring me every day just to make the NFL. And we all know there's more than that, right? So, 
the other part that people don't talk about enough is success adversities. Okay. We've been successful now this year, right? Now we're ranked and our quarterbacks in the Heisman talk and, you know, coach this and that. Right. So, you know, that coach, but um, you got to stay tight in those situations too. So it's always coming for you. And the more you can prepare, talk about it. um, The last two fall camps, we've read books to the team. The first one was Twin Thieves by Steve yeah, Jones. Read it. Uh, Great one. And the second one is right here, Win in the Dark. Um, oh. You know, Lucas Jodden and uh, Joseph Metcalf. And I'll go chapter by chapter. My number one job, Coach, is to provide them with the toolbox to handle these things. Now, it's their job to apply the tool. All right? So, uh, like, having a mindset is understanding the tool. Mentality is the application. Mm-hmm. Right. So what I demonstrated with them in fall camp, I you know took the old sledgehammer. OK, this is a tool. This is a this is a mindset. OK, but by itself, there's no application. Right. And then I took it and smashed the chair and everyone rah rahs. But that's mentality. That's action to the tool. So applying it. So, you know, we like to use a lot of those things uh, with our guys and really equip equip them to handle those things before they come. Because if you're doing it too late, then you're just reacting and we don't get the results that we create. Really love the approach of the toolbox, uh, but them providing the tool to you, providing the tools to them and them applying. I remember early on as a coach and I had young kids, three young boys, and they were hearing a lot and we were winning, but they were still. Dad, do that, what, et cetera, et cetera. And so literally we were role playing at home. So my wife and I are someone walking up to them and then we're they're building responses. And it was amazing once. Uh, we provided the tools and then they knew they used them uh, appropriately. They were carrying themselves just with more confidence, like they were ready for the next grown up to say something that like, you know, and, and so I think you can probably see it in your team when, when they under, when they have the right tools and they apply them, they carry themselves differently. Well, there's no doubt. I think the best part of it coach is it's the, it's the biggest thing that relates to life. Yes. You know, and that's what we're doing. We're preparing men that are ready for life and husbands and fathers and future leaders. And that adversity training, it doesn't stop. It doesn't go away. And we talk about performing in the storm. You got to be able to perform in a storm because storms in your life are coming. And if you think it's hard now when you're 18 to 23 year old college kid, I remind these guys, this is the best time of your life. I say <laughs> that all the time. This isn't hard. This is the best. Right. I got I got three kids as well. And remember those days of crying babies and you know how that goes oh, so man. this is the best time in your life and the more we train them for it the more they'll be equipped to handle anything that comes their way mm. so what maybe maybe we'll finish with with this one thought and just really appreciate your insights and, and the depth and and the amount of time and intent you've put on becoming a leader it's really apparent to me um so here comes uh the success adversity yeah. so far right and we know it's early in the season still yeah um, but what a great start and the quarter your quarterback is playing so well uh, but your team is clearly playing with purpose that's it doesn't yeah. take me long to watch any opponent or any team it's like they're playing for something more than uh the game and so i really like mm-hmm. your culture it manifests with the way the team plays and so now as you prepare for right the continued success that uh-huh. you're going to have um, that sometimes is a very unique and even a harder challenge. So do you have initial thoughts on, on kind of that stage? Yeah, I think there's something we talked about actually just recently with our team and we actually posed a study to them of how two plus two 
is greater than the sum of its parts. And I think that's what we want to be as a team. And we went through this whole survey and there's a study out there done and how you take 20 pieces of spaghetti and tape and a marshmallow and who can build the biggest tower. Yeah. yeah. And it was amazing, right? If, if you know a coach, the kindergartners beat the CEOs and the lawyers yeah, and that. Yeah. Um, you know, so what we always try to do is just constantly have that message of staying who we are. The first thing I did in fall camp coach was have them talk about the team that they want to be. And we wrote it down. All right. And you get words like toughness, doing your job, uh, finish, effort, grit, uh, focus, discipline, you know, togetherness. You get all these words and their words, not mine. Mm -hmm. Right. So we come back to this all the time. And after the Oregon State game, I showed, hey, this is adaptability. OK, good. This is doing your job. This is finish. This is effort. This is discipline. This is focus. And like, this is the team that we need to be. And I think we know if we are that team, we can be successful. Yeah. Okay. What I tell them all the time is we can beat anybody if we don't beat ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a responsibility to that. Right. And uh, peak performance to us real quick is just trust cohesion, right. Being socially really connected. It's task cohesion, cohesion, mm -hmm. everyone being really committed to doing your job, which I think is hard for 18 to 23 year olds. And it's what we call warrior dial. You got to be dialed into the right energy for peak performance. And when we get all three of those things hitting in line, we're constantly on a quest to get better. So I think really identifying who you are as a team is step number one. And then living out those values and making sure whatever messaging you use, you bring it to life. And it doesn't just be a thing. Right. So I, every every meeting I start with, their words are on the screen. This is the team that we need to be to be successful. So there's a lot of ways to do it. Um, just make sure you believe in something and you constantly bring it to life. All right. And I think the way that you're bringing it to life, it's clear to me that it's authentic, it's genuine and it's real to you. And you're not trying to be someone else. And right. Uh, there's a, a great saying real recognizes real. And it's just clear to me with the past 35 minutes that not only what you're doing, but how you're doing it is is real to you. And that's going to make it real to them. And I just really appreciate the insights and the time and it's been really fun. And so Brian yeah. usually closes us with some kind of nonsense about football. I don't know what he's going to say, but I'll turn <laughs> it back over to him. You've been waiting. <laughs> Well, I, I have been waiting because, you know, it's kind of the elephant in the room talking with, with Washington State. And, and, and we didn't really kind of hit on it necessarily in, in this podcast, but we've talked a, quite a bit uh, with, with previous head coaches about alignment. You guys have great alignment there there at Washington State with your school president, Kirk Schultz, your AD, Pat Chun. They, they, they are as plugged in with college athletics. I, I'm just kind of curious how that manifests for, for you, given everything that's going on external of, of the school right now. Well, I think having a really strong leadership team – whatever business you're in is very important. And the one thing I always say whenever Kirk or Pat is brought up to me is that there's someone, Brian, along your path that really believed in you, right? And I think that plants a seed in the back of your mind that sets you free to go out there and be you and allows you to go out there and be in the best version of yourself every day. Belief is the number one thing I think you can provide to people. And when the university president and the athletic director have your back in that capacity, I think you can attack any challenge possible. I, I, re I really believe that. That doesn't mean we always agree. That doesn't mean we always see eye to eye, but there's a respect level of how we want to go about it and how much we value where we are. I think all three of us do that. And I think that's hard in today's world sometimes. 
So we care about it. We know a lot of decisions are really important out there and kind of navigating the future for Washington State athletics is very important because Washington State football will be long here after I'm gone. And I want to always set the future up better than what I found it. Now we've gone through a lot of different circumstances and we're going to make sure we're navigating our way to be our best version going forward. And you guys are certainly being that best version uh, on the field, at least so far this year. And uh, got a big game coming up there at the Rose Bowl against UCLA. Jake Dickert, the head coach at Washington State. Thank you so much for, for jumping on for on with us. For Bronco Mendenhall, I am Brian Fisher. We'll catch you again next week. Go Cougs. Go Cougs.